If you have your Bibles, uh, let me invite you now to turn them to Proverbs chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I'll say hello and good morning to you. Uh, It is good to be together as God's people on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's beautiful, at least for now. (laughs) Um, And I hope that you have a a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, uh, especially tomorrow as we consider those who have sacrificed and paid a great deal for the freedom we enjoy. You know, uh, we have family, my wife and I, uh, in places where they don't enjoy the kind of freedoms we enjoy. And we are really blessed. And I, you know, we're so blessed. And it has been that kind of blessing for so long that we take it just for granted. Like this is the way it always has been, right? But in reality, if you think of it historically, it's a bubble, a small parentheses, a small little exception in a world of persecution. So I I hope that you will be thankful tomorrow as you consider that day and not just think about barbecue. Well, we're not going to barbecue tomorrow. It's going to be storming, but whatever. (laughs) Maybe we will. I don't know. All right, so we are in Proverbs uh, today. I'm, it's, it's sermon number two. We're working through Proverbs this summer, spending some time here trying to understand from God what, how we should think and where we should turn for influence. And uh, I think it's going to be a good summer. We're going to be getting into a lot of different areas uh, like marriage, a lot of practical areas like how to uh, manage finances and how to work and all of those things are going to come up in the course of things. Uh, today, we're still kind of in the introductory part of Proverbs um, and our text is really a long one, and I'm going to read it all. As you can see, it's Proverbs 1, 8 through 2, 22. And um, I'm, I'm going to read it all, even though it's long, and I'm going to do that with the confidence that you will not be harmed by the reading of God's word. So let's read this, uh, this, this long passage, and then maybe hear from the Lord. It says, verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious good. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of the possessors, of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she, streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called you and you refuse to listen. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel 
and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised my, all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by the turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you will call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you will seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand the righteousness, you, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the evil way from men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her will come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is good to hear from your word is good for us, and you are so gracious to give it to us. In a world full of influencers who are pining for our attention, pining to pull our hearts away from you, you have given us your word. You are gracious, you're good. We don't have to be, like, naive. We can see your word. We don't have to discern ourselves between, like, a bunch of paths, like, in the dark. Which direction should we go? You have told us which way we should go. You have given us your word. Lord, I, I pray for the next 30 minutes or so that you will, you will incline our hearts to this word in a, in a powerful and impacting way. That your spirit would move in our hearts so that we'd be open to this. We'd, we'd want to know what your way is and we would desire to follow it with all of our hearts. Thank you for giving us hope through Jesus Christ. Thank you that through the blood of Christ shed on Calvary's tree for us and his broken body and the resurrection from the dead that he led, we now have a standing with you and a hope that lasts forever. Thank you for saving us by your grace. 
Lord, I pray that you will awaken faith in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I, I don't know why I was thinking about it this way, but I was, I was thinking about the story of Pinocchio. Um, let me just ask you a question, and I, you could yell out the answer if you want, but what's the story of Pinocchio all about? I heard somebody whisper it. Lying. It's, it's not really, though. Like, it is about lying. And the Disney rendition, you know, like the, the nose grows and all that stuff. And you think it's, we mostly think of that, like this character from Carlo Collati's book in terms of honesty, a nose growing. But I think the story had something, like a greater uh, value to it altogether. I mean, I think that's a, a good value, you know, be honest. But I think there's a greater value in it. And that is what voices were to listen to. Like, that's, that's what it's really about. That's what, that's what Kaladi wanted. Pinocchio was inclined to listen to people who seemed right to him. You know, they were flattering him. They're like showing him the, the, the glitter of their path. Like, if you go here, it's going to be good for you, Pino. But they didn't have his best interest in mind. And he refused to listen to the people who would have spared him the hurt that he caused. You know, like people like Geppo, his dad, who wanted good things for him and would have spared him the agony he endured, the pain he caused for others. I think that's what the story is about. And in that sense, it's a very helpful tale. The passage we're looking at today is perhaps the talk that Geppo should have had with Pino. A talk that doesn't merely say this thing or this act or this thought is right and you should do this. And this thing or act or thought is wrong and you should not do that. Now, there's, there's room for that. That's an important talk to have, right? We, we need to say specifically, this is right and this is wrong. And we need to stand on that. But this is different and it's kind of bigger in that sense. We're going to get into a lot of that in Proverbs. But in this sense, this, in Proverbs 1, 8 through 20, this is sort of like a, like a framework about the voices that should have the influence in your life. What should have the sway of your heart. Not just the thing that you should do and not do, but the one you should listen to and the one you should not listen to. Do you see? Foolish voices versus wise voices. This gives us ways to recognize one from the other. And the claim in this passage is that you will be spared so much pain and suffering if you will listen to the right voices and give no ear to the wrong ones. Indeed, there is assurance that you will dwell securely. That's the word used here. You'll dwell at rest if you will seek the wisdom of God for your life and avoid those, ignore those who despise God's wisdom. As appealing as what they are selling might be. This is the kind of talk I think every father should have with his child. I think this is the kind of talk every mother should have with her child. I think this is the talk we all need to have with each other. There's voices that you can listen to and they're good and wholesome. And then there are voices you should avoid with all your heart. And this is the talk we're going to have together this morning as we seek to hear from God how we are to live, the voices we are to hear and heed. So this begins with a scenario, okay, way, way back in chapter 1, um, verse 11. begins with a scenario that I don't think that we relate to just on the surface of it, right? Like it says, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. That sounds like something that would only happen like in gangland, right? Like something out of the movie, some urban city with like 
red hot chili peppers playing in the background and some guy saying, here, take this gun and go, go, go whack him. <laughs> that kind of thing. And I, I know there are places where that kind of thing happens and I, we just don't live in that kind of thing. I don't think we do anyway. And frankly, I'm not sure I'd be tempted if, if, if you know, the Godfather came to me and said, let's ambush the innocent without reason. That could make you think that this whole chapter isn't really relevant to you, right? If you're not inclined to violence or you're not around those who are violent. If you live in a city where gangs aren't looking to recruit people. A closer look at this though, and you can see that this really is relevant. It's relevant in our shattering context. It's relevant in every context on this planet. Verses 8 through 16 make this sound like physical violence is primarily in view. The word blood used several times, right? But then when you get to verse 19, you see the bigger picture. Look at verse 19 with me. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. So likely the the violent picture painted here is a picture of the actions of every heart that desires unjust gain. And of course that can be literal, right? That can be literal. This, This is why there's murder in the world. It can be literal. We saw that this week. It can be literal. Tragically so. But it can also be a figurative way of saying that this is what we all do when we selfishly seek our own advantage. This is what everyone does who seeks their own advantage to the unjust disadvantage of others. So don't read this and think that this is only a warning against violent thugs who desire to do evil. This can take expression in polite, law-abiding, church-going people. A polished person who never commits a crime, a good Nebraska nice kind of person, can still be one who lies in wait to shed innocent blood. What's in view here is people who are greedy for unjust gain. And that can take many forms. Many, many forms. From a thug, to a businessman looking to get ahead in the marketplace, to just, it can take, there's a whole spectrum here. Anytime we seek our, our unjust gain, this is us. Now, verse 10 can also throw you for a loop. Okay, look at verse 10 with me. I, like, I know I'm a sinner, right? You know, you're a sinner. Like it says, if sinners entice you. And you know, like you, you have enough theology to know that we're all sinners, right? Everyone is a sinner. All of us are sinners. We're all sinful before a holy God. We've all broken God's law, right? I'm, I'm a sinner, what person seeking to influence anyone else is not a sinner except for, except for Jesus? Even a father having, having this talk with his son is one sinner having a talk with another sinner. So what is it about these kind of sinners that warrant a warning like this? If sinners entice you, what kind of sinner does he have in mind? I was thinking about this and uh, went for a run and I, you know, most everyone runs, but not everyone is a runner, right? Not everyone's a runner. If, if, if you were to say, I saw a runner today in the park, we would understand you to mean that you saw a person who was in the act of running, right? Like that's what they do. You could tell by their clothing. You could tell by their, 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 this is what they do. They run. They might be a banker. We don't know what they are, right? But we know that they're a runner when we saw them in the park, right? You're identifying that person with what they're doing, and what they seem to prefer to do. 
And that's what's going on here. The author means people who obviously prefer the path of sin to God's path. Sin is the road they they like to be on. The clever, deceptive, evil road. That's what they like to run on. That's the kind of sinner he is warning his son about. Don't follow the sinner who loves to follow his sin. And who wants to lead you to follow that sin too. And that can be anyone. It can be a classmate. It can be a professor. It can be a love interest. It can be a coworker. It can be a parent, sadly. It can be that famous guy in the movies that you like or that on that sports field that you admire. It can be that influencer on social media. It can be and often is our culture. Our culture is like the, the sinner that's enticing us after their way. A, a, a society that values like sin, that embraces, tries to shame you into embracing the same sin that they love. You know, what's the saying? Come on, Mike, what's the fuss? Everyone's doing it. Why don't you be like us? That sinner can even be you. And I, it can be you in two different ways. It can be you in the sense that you could be the sinner that entices other people to sin, right? And it could be you enticing your own heart to sin. Now, what would be so enticing about this recruiting effort? Why would one want to follow this sin, the sin of seeking unjust gain? And part of the answer, I think, is in verse 14. It says, throw in your lot among us. We all have one purse. That's what verse 14 says. We all have one purse. We, we will all have one purse. If you join us, we'll have one, one purse. I think we all long for a sense of belonging and community. We, we all long for that sense of we, we want that sense of having a cause, a common cause together. We're all in this together and we long for that. And all, what's enticing in this appeal from the sinner is that he's selling a common purpose. We have a cause. We, we will have one purse and you should join us. Throw your lot in with us. And, and here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that sense, that, that, that desire to feel like you belong, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That, that, sense, that, that sense you have for uh, like needing real community, that attraction to a common cause. I think all of those things are built into us by God. I think God has built that into us. God has built in your heart a, a need to be with other people, a need for community. We're, we're designed that way. We're hardwired, I think, to rally around a common cause. It's the way we're made. The, the problem isn't that. The problem is when that common cause is not Jesus Christ and his glory, God's glory, but rather something selfish and unjust. God has designed us for a sense of community and that's actually why we should take church so seriously. Why church should be so important to us. We're meant to belong to community, to the body of Christ. And we're meant to rally together around a common focus, the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. The good news that though, though we are sinful, Jesus Christ paid for our sin on the cross and died for our, in our place, rose again, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. That's what we're designed to rally our lives around. That's the common focus we're meant to enjoy together, to Live out the gospel together. Love the gospel together. Live it, living this life out in gospel-transformed communities centered around the person of Jesus Christ. Local churches. 
and also the cause of spreading that good news everywhere and to all nations. And here's the thing. Evil designs are always counterfeit. They always are counterfeits of good ones and godly ones. The enticing sinner is appealing to God-given impulses. The difference is that he just switches the object from God's glory, what we're designed to rally around, to his own, to his sinful, selfish advantage, to the unjust disadvantage of others. And again, that can take all kinds of forms. And here's just one example, one example that's common in local churches right now around the country. Someone hungry for more influence or a louder voice or something like that. Someone who feels like they deserve something more entices others to throw in their lot and their one purse cause of disrupting unity. And it's appealing because there's a common cause. Like we're going to rally together around this cause. There's a sense of belonging because now you have a faction that you belong to. We're in the right club. We have a cause. And again, these these God-given impulses, they're seemingly met when you do that. Except that they're not. Not in the long term. Verse 18 says, these men lie in wait for their own blood. There's no prevailing. Only ruin. That kind of path always leads to harm. To others, to yourself, sin never pays. So again, the enticing lie of sin is that it counterfeits good and godly things. But sin never pays. The common cause can be anything and even many good things. And it can take the place in many different contexts. But there is one thing it is not. And I think this should be a warning to us. The cause is never, this evil cause that people are enticing others to, it is never centered on God and his glory in Christ Jesus. This kind of enticing cause is never Godward. The sinner is never enticing others to die to oneself. No one's ever, no one, no one's ever gonna come to you with like some evil plan and say, you know what you need to do? You need to lay down your life and take up your cross and follow Jesus. He's never going to say, give everything and serve Christ. He's never going to say to you, let's be so radical in our love for one another and our love for our neighbors that everyone will know that we're disciples of Jesus and everyone will see that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. That's not the voice of the influencer who wants to pull your heart away from the right path. It's always something self-focused and self-serving and that should be the alarm. And that ought to be That ought to keep us from following them. The lie behind it all and behind all temptation to sin is that it'll be worth it. There will be a legitimate advantage. Look at verse 13. Look look at the promise of verse 13. We We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our house with plunder. Doesn't that sound nice? I mean, the words plunder doesn't sound that great, but if you think about it, it sounds kind of nice. Like, I'm going to have a lot of good stuff. A house full of plunder. Translation, this sin will be worth it. That's always the lie of sin. Sin always promises precious goods. Sin always promises plunder, advantage. In other words, it promises that it will be better for you to sin than to not sin. And that is why it is so enticing to us. 
That's why we're tempted to sin. But it's a lie, as these chapters make so clear. It's in vain, as verse 13 says. It it is against our own blood, as you can see in verse 18. And it invites the judgment of God. Verses 1, chapter, you know, Proverbs 1, 24 through 26 say it like this. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and we have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes. I will mock when terror strikes you. So you laughed at God's ways, but you will not, you will not have the last laugh. If you won't take God and his wisdom seriously today, you will take it seriously one day. So you can scoff all you want right now and, 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 and feel very slick about your views, right? You can scoff right now at God's word. What I see here though is that you won't always do that there will come a time when the laughing is stopped. No one laughs when they face the judgment of God. Sin promises the world and delivers only death. How much pain would be spared if we would learn that lesson? The happy alternative is that we can treasure God's wisdom in our hearts. And I love that. The, that, that language there, treasure God's wisdom. Like it's, I, I want this, like I want to, I want to, I want to embrace this. We don't, we don't give ear to sinners enticing us. Instead, we answer the loud call of wisdom that, that calls out in the street to trust in God and not in man. And if we do that, we won't be sorry. You won't be sorry ever. The blessings of following God and his wisdom, they're peppered through this, these two chapters. Verse 1-9 says, it will be like a graceful garland on your head and pendants, pendants for your neck. Those are things that victors wear. You know, like in the Olympics, the, the, the medals. He is saying, you will never be sorry for following God. Never. You'll never be sorry for following God. Following Jesus will never wreck your life. Following God's wisdom will never wreck your life. But I know that when you're standing there at the crossroads, that's what you're thinking. What will be better for me right now? And the wisdom here that's like over it all is that it will be better every single time and forever to follow God If we do that, if we follow God, we will not be sorry ever. In the story I mentioned earlier, Pinocchio, he was enticed because he could not see the value in the right path. You know, he was in one rendition. I don't know. I, I haven't read the novel. I've only seen the renditions, you know, the Disney and others. But in one that we watched recently, um, he's like on his way to school. Like Geppo had bought him a notebook. Do you remember this? And he's on his way to school and he's almost a real boy. He's not a real boy yet, but he's almost there. And he's on his way to school. And he runs into these circus guys and they're like, there's glitter over here. There's good things over here. And he's thinking school or glitter. School seemed hard and long and what could be the value in that? But the wrong path was glittering and shining and the reward, the benefit seemed instant. Like right now. I will be gratified right now if I go that way. And he believed. He was afraid to miss out. And he believed the lie that the right path is somehow worse for you. Friends, God's way is never worse for you. Don't believe the lie. It's always better for you to follow Christ. You will never ruin your life by following Jesus. And you will always ruin your life by going your own way. 
I wish I could just open my counseling notes to you to prove this in practice, if that would somehow persuade you to see the wisdom of this. How often people decide that God, God's way is somehow not what we really need. That he's like some killjoy up in heaven and he just makes up arbitrary rules. Not because he loves us and knows what's best for us, but because he doesn't want us to have the glitter. He loves us. He knows what's right for our flourishing. His way is always better. And we will go our own way until we believe that his way is better. And sometimes we will learn that way the hard way, the really, really, really hard way. Many find out the truth of these chapters with their lives in shambles. The happy alternative is to trust in the Lord and his wisdom and his way for your life. That way leads, as you can see in, in chapter one, verse 33, to dwelling securely in the land and being at ease without the dread of disaster. Following God and his wisdom means that you will be secure. And chapter two gives us some examples of things that we are secure from. Two of them. Look at verses, chapter two, verses 12 through 15. We're secure for men of perverted speech, men who forsake the way of righteousness, people who walk in darkness, influencers who rejoice and delight in evil and seem so compelling and so dangerous. If we follow God, we'll be secure from people like that. And then Proverbs 2, 16 through 19 says that we'll be safe from the forbidden woman. And there's a lot there and we're gonna get into that subject later, but I I think we can read that and understand That as we follow God's will for our lives, we will be delivered the heartache and the destruction and the pain and the hurt that comes from sexual sin. And again, there's huge promise behind sexual sin. There are huge promises. Stolen water is sweet. This will be satisfying to you. You really need this. It's better for you to go this way. This will make you happy. It's always a lie. And everyone finds that out. Everyone finds that out sooner or later, that it's a lie. It always leads to pain and the Bible would spare you of that hurt. God, who is gracious, would spare you of that hurt if you would only listen to his wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom to the one who trusts in him. Wisdom comes from hearing and believing the Lord. And the one who hears and believes and obeys the Lord will dwell secure. It doesn't mean that life will be easy, okay? It doesn't mean that everything will be like roses for you, but it will be better. So much better. That's what Jesus teaches us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna get there in five years, Lord willing. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. We're going through the, if you're not from here, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount in our regular series. But listen to this passage from the the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against it and it fell and great was the fall of it. 
I don't know about you, friends, but I think it's better to have a house built on a rock when the storms of life come. If you desire to be wise, Jesus is clear. Hear him, believe him, follow him, obey him. Believe in Christ. That's, that's, that's true wisdom. That's, the, that's at the very heart of real wisdom. Even as you see the glitter of your own way, believe in Christ by faith. Trust in him. Trust that he's the savior of the world. Trust that Jesus is the only way into a right relationship with God. That he died in your place, died for you. That his death is sufficient for all of your sin. That if you throw your lot in with him, you will live just as he is alive today. Following Jesus with your life is true wisdom. All right, so there's a challenge in these two chapters of Proverbs for us. I'm just going to end with those, that challenge. You can see it in verse 122, chapter 122. It's summed up with two words. How long? Wisdom is calling out to me. How long will it take for me to respond? How long will I stay in my simpleness while wisdom is beckoning me? How long will I stay a scoffer? How long will I stay a fool? Maybe the Lord is saying that to you this morning. How long, how long will you walk on the path that you have devised for yourself? How long? How long will you treat Jesus as if he's just some side note to your life? How long will you continue to live for yourself? How long do you respond with faith to God and his demands in your life? How long will you continue on your own path? How long will you continue to think that your way is best for you and for others? How long will we listen to this world and its voices, its influences that are everywhere beckoning us to abandon Christ? How long? I pray that your answer today, I pray that my answer today, our answer today is not long. Today, I will follow Jesus Christ. Today, I will recognize that he is true wisdom. And without him, I have no hope. Only foolishness. Today, I will follow Jesus Christ. Today, I will choose to dwell securely in him rather than to listen to the voices of the world. Today I will be like the man who in Christ built his house upon the rock. One last challenge, if I, can, if I may. To you who are parents, you have to teach this to your children. Do not be satisfied with merely teaching them how to make a good salary. Do not be satisfied to teach them merely how to have things like a nice house and nice cars and a nice career. Don't stop there. The world and its influence, it's screaming out for their hearts. You know that, right? The world is crying out to them. Come, follow me, follow us, throw your lot in with us. And you, by God's grace, have been put in a position of massive influence in their life. Don't waste it. Help them to see that true wisdom is found in following Jesus Christ with one's life.
Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you would, by your grace, do your work in our hearts so that we would resolve to no longer walk our own ways, but that we would seek with all of our heart your past, that we would believe, we would reject the lie and believe the truth. We would reject the lie that our own way is better, that the world's ways are better, that modern ways are better, or whatever form it might take. And we would believe the timeless truth that you the God of all creation, the one who created us, knit us together in our mother's wombs, the one who knows what is best for us. You are true wisdom. I pray that we would trust you today. I pray that we would follow you. This world is hurting so many people going their own way. Lord, we're reminded of that and what happened in Texas this last week. And we pray for the families. We lift them up to you, Father. The hurting the brokenness that we see in this. We pray for your comfort upon them. We pray for your grace. We pray that the church, especially in Evalde, would respond with love and compassion in the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would take that as a lesson that we should follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.